Jesus, we thank you so much for what you did for us on the cross. We celebrate that today. Thank you so much for everyone that's here, that you made it possible that we could know the Father. And I'm just thinking about the words of the songs that we've sung today, and they're just drawing us to you because they express your love for us. And when we embrace that love, it just draws us, it pulls us. We're enamored by your love. We're drawn into relationship, drawn to want to walk with you, to want to know you more fully. And I just declare today for everyone here that the cross is enough. The cross that Jesus died on. He made us clean. He made it possible for us to know the Father. He made healing possible, restoration. He made it possible for broken people to walk in wholeness. He made it possible for relationally fractured people to have peace to know his comfort, to know connection with him. And I just thank you so much for the opportunity we have now to hear from you as we sung, but also now as we hear from your word and the power that comes from the word when it's declared. And we just thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you so much for your singing today. Go ahead and have a seat if you would. So we began this new series today. And uh, as John mentioned earlier, the name of the series is You Drive Me Crazy. And it seems like every time I say that to a different group of people, someone laughs. You know, it's like, okay, because I think this is going to be funny. Uh, Now, it may be funny in saying it, but there's a lot of reality that we are going to look at over the next few weeks about this idea of You Drive Me Crazy. And uh, I just know that uh, on our conference room, somebody wrote a note for me this morning just so I'd see it. It was really interesting. It says this, the drive to crazy can be a short one, right? For some of us, it may be shorter than for others, right? Just saying, okay? It can be a short one to get there to that place. So I'm going to invite you to grab the message notes out of your program. They look like this, and you can follow along today. All the Bible verses also, there will be some fill-ins for you that you're going to want to take some notes on. If you have your Bible, open it to James chapter 3. James chapter 3 today is where we're going to be, and so I just want to hold this Bible up and let you know that if you don't own a Bible, we want our church wants you to own a Bible, to have one. So when you leave today, there are bookshelves as you leave. Grab one. It's our gift to you today because we'd love for you to have a Bible in your home as well. So I want to begin today with a survey. And so just to kind of help us to wrap our brains around this series and to kind of, you know, get more meaning from it as we begin. How many of you have someone in your life who drives you absolutely crazy? Okay, stark raving mad. You know, okay, so just, okay, just pretty much that would be all of us. And uh, how many of you have prayed that God would remove or relocate that person somewhere else and being with you in your life? Now, I, probably all of us have. And uh, I just want us to get into this a little bit deeper, okay? And I, wanna, I want you to just identify, if you could, just identify one person who drives you crazy. Uh, you'd say, call him a crazy maker. Uh, you would use a term EGR for that person, which is extra grace required. So that would be kind of how you look at that person. Or uh, kind of an old phrase, that person is a sandpaper person. So they're there to rub off some of the, you know, the rough edges. 
no nudging now, okay? So please, no nudging the person next to you. But just identify one person. And as we go through this message today, or we go through this series, I want to ask you to identify how you can learn to love that person as Jesus loves that person. I want you to identify, and then how can you learn to love that person as Jesus loves that person? So as we kind of begin this morning, I want to lob out a couple of perspective thoughts that would kind of help us just kind of get our brains wrapped around and to be maybe a little more receptive to what is going to be said both today and this series. First, we need to understand that if we could bring together in one room all the people who know you, who know you, I can guarantee you that you would be on the list of at least one or more people who would say, that person drives me crazy, okay? So let's just kind of level it out. That We're all on somebody else's list, okay, that drives me crazy. That's just the way it works, just the way it works in life. Second thing I want to lob out, second thing to think about is this. Sometimes the person that we most want God to remove from our lives is the person that we need most in our lives. The one we want God to remove most, most want him to remove, is the one that we need most in our lives. I believe that sometimes the reason that God allows crazy people into our lives is that he's put them there on purpose, purpose, to do some things in us and through us that couldn't happen without this difficult person being there. Now, notice I said sometimes here, and I just want to qualify this just as we jump into the series Uh, that some of us, we come from relationships and we have scars and wounds from someone who has abused us in some way, hurt us, and we've just sworn that no one would ever do that again and we have boundaries that are set up to protect us. And so I just want you to know today that if that's a place that you've been, I'm not asking you to open yourself up to abuse. I'm not asking you to open yourself up to unnecessary hurt or pain. So if we can get that clear, I'm not asking those of you who've been really hurt to take on hurt again. But what I am asking you to do is just normally think about it in relationships, is that in kind of a normal setting, apart from abuse or the other things that can happen to us, is that God sometimes allows people into our lives who are difficult because he wants to use them to grow us. He wants to use them in us and through us that we can become different in some way. So why is that so important? It, because what happens is, is this, is how I treat the crazy makers in my life, how I treat the EGRs in my life, reveals the condition of my heart. And God wants my heart to be in alignment with his, and so he's going to allow people to show the condition of my heart if it's off place because he's wanting me to do some heart work, and he wants to change the way that I work. So without an introduction, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to read some words that were spoken by Jesus. John read it earlier. It's the golden rule. It's the theme verse for our series. It says, do to others what you would have them do to you. So that's kind of what we're looking at. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, Jesus spoke some words to his disciples, and he says, okay, I'm getting ready to leave, and I want to leave you with what I think would be most important for you to know. And so in John 13, he gives them the new commandment as he lays out, and it says this. So Jesus is saying, no, so now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. 
your love for one another. So notice that it says your love for one another. This is why next week we've titled the message Crazy Church. Not because we want to be one of those whacked out crazy churches, you know, that really culture looks at and would point fingers in and say, look how you treat each other. You're hypocrites. Look how you treat others who aren't like you. You're haters. You don't love people. We don't want to be labeled crazy that way. We want to be labeled crazy because of the love we have for one another and the love we have for our world. And that's what we want to look at next Sunday in depth as we come together. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So Jesus calls us to love more than just people who are like us. He calls us to love more than the people we like, to love more than the people who just don't drive us crazy, the ones who don't uh, intimidate, the ones who don't irritate, the ones who don't discriminate or isolate. He calls us to love each other. That's everybody. He calls us to live in relationship of love, and I'll just say it this way because we need to wrestle with this, even those who drive us crazy. Even those who drive us crazy. So as I was working on my Easter message, and it became clear the direction that God was giving us for that day, uh, I shared last week that empathy was one of the key components that we could learn from as we looked at Jesus Christ on the cross. And so last January, it kind of all comes out of this. Last January, Kimberly and I uh, sat in a room with 12 other people who were being trained on how to follow Jesus, how to follow him, how to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. And what that means is, is that we were being trained on how we could, by intention, be someone who does what Jesus says, by intention that we would want to do the things that Jesus said so that we could actually become like him and end up looking like him. Now, the key moment as we were in this uh, training for all week came on the third day, and we were listening to Bill, our leader, and he was explaining how we could love others like Jesus loved them. And here's what he said. And I put it there in your notes. You want to just kind of fill this in when we get there. He, this quote, the cornerstone character trait necessary for loving people is empathy. The cornerstone character trait necessary for loving people. So this is necessary if I'm going to love, necessary if I'm going to be a loving person is empathy. And then he said this, he said, one of the key character traits of Jesus, our leader, our savior, our older brother is empathy. Jesus was the one who, Jesus was the most emotionally healthy person who ever lived. And he exhibited empathy throughout his ministry all the way to his death on the cross. And then he said these words. He said this. He said, the way you can become a more empathetic person is for you to receive empathy yourself. You have to receive it yourself. If you didn't receive empathy as you grew up, it's impossible for you to give out empathy today apart from learning to receive it from Jesus, apart from learning to receive it from him. See, many of us never received empathy growing up. 
And so in order to grow in empathy, what we have to do is we have to learn to receive the empathy now that we need from Jesus Christ, receive it from him, embrace it, and then we're able to then give it to others. See, when you read the pages of the New Testament, folks, it's just fascinating. You see people who were drawn to the empathy of Jesus. That's why people did all sorts of crazy things to get to him. They tore roofs off of houses. They climbed trees when they heard he was coming through town. They made themselves vulnerable. They risked ridicule. They reached out when he was coming by to touch his robe. They cried out for him to heal them. Wherever Jesus went, people thronged to him because they recognized that in Jesus is life. In Jesus is life. So as we begin the series, I just want to invite you over several weeks now, to look for ways that Jesus is showing you, has shown, and is showing you empathy, and allow the empathy that he's showing you to be a catalyst for you to take the risk to show empathy to others. Let this series do that. Now, look at these verses that challenge us to live a life like Jesus. If Jesus was, was the most empathetic person who ever lived, then we must look to him for our example. So Paul writes in Ephesians 5, he says, imitate God. Oh, my word. That's a big order, right? Imitate God. Therefore, in everything, you might circle that, everything you do, live a life filled with love. It doesn't get easier. Following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice. So that's how he's calling us to love. When you're empathetic, when you show empathy, it's actually an act of sacrifice that you're doing for someone else. A pleasing aroma to God. Then Hebrews 4 says this, talking about Jesus. The high priest, high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testing as we do, yet he did not sin. So now let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So we can receive the empathy at the throne, and then we can learn empathy at the throne, and then we take it out and the altar, and we throw it out, and we give it to other people as well. Now, empathy, you know, I understand it's a buzzword in our culture right now. I mean, there's so many you know, self-help books being written about empathy and so many ways that people are talking about this word empathy that it actually it can get a little bit confusing. And most of us hear empathy. We don't know the difference between empathy or sympathy. It can get caught up. What's the difference between empathy and sympathy? So I came across a video this week by Dr. Brene Brown, and she is going to describe for us very creatively the difference between empathy and sympathy so we can grasp that before we go on today. Let's watch this. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's, a, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, 
and climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, you want a sandwich? <laughs> um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Wow. That is so good. And once again, that's Dr. Brene Brown. You can Google that, YouTube, watch that if you want to get that uh, more clearly into, you know, into your thinking. So just to be clear, you know, many people get empathy and sympathy confused. Sympathy is when you feel sad for someone who's going through pain and you want to fix them or change the circumstances. So that's sympathy. Empathy is when you feel with someone who's going through pain and you just want to be with them to encourage them that there's a place where they're safe and a place of connection. See, the truth is we're all made for connection, but we live in a world of disconnection. So the goal in the series is that we would learn to see the people in our lives who drive us crazy through a different set of lenses and practice the art of empathy. So let me define it for you. I gave it on our Easter services, but I went through it so quickly. I know that many of you probably didn't get a chance to write this down, but let's define empathy. This comes from the same training that Kimberly and I sat through in January. Empathy is tuning in to what someone else feels. So it's making myself aware of another person and tuning in, trying to become aware of what it is that they are feeling. Now, in order to do that, I'm going to have to be you know, work at it so that I can understand how feelings are expressed. And I'm also going to have to tune in by asking questions and to be a good listener. We're going to come to listening later on in this series as well. But Anthony, empathy is tuning into someone, what someone else feels, and then it's validating the bigness of it. So if I can know what you're feeling and it's big, I want to validate how big that is to you instead of diminishing it by saying you shouldn't feel that way or let me fix you in some way. I'm just going to, all I'm doing is validating, oh my word, that is really tough. Oh my, that is so big. How are you doing this? So you just validate the bigness of it, and then lastly, you show compassion. You show compassion by expressing the fact that you understand that this is difficult for that person and where they are. See, we all need this. We all need this. 
Now, Jesus, he was talking at the end of the Lord's Prayer, giving us the model prayer. This is what he says in verse 12. He says this, Father, forgive us our sins. So just acknowledging that we've all sinned. And he says this, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. So we've come to the place that we understand and we can give empathy to others because we've received empathy ourselves. So we've come to that place. Now, that's the frame, okay? So I needed to frame the series. So that's the frame, and every week we'll come back and we'll talk about empathy in some way and how we can all grow in our ability to both receive it and then to give it as well. But what I want to do before we wrap up today is I just want to distinguish between two kinds of ways of living or two types of people, crazy people and wise people, okay? And so we're going to use James chapter 3. So I had you turn there a while ago, beginning in verse 13. And James writes, and he says this, if you are wise. So he's just saying, you know what? You may be, you may not be, right? So here we go. If you are wise, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility so I don't just circle the word humility. We'll come back to the very end of my talk today and just the understanding that empathy requires humility that comes from wisdom. But if you're bitterly jealous and there is a selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So that's the goal. I'm going to plant seeds of peace, and then I will reap a fruit of harvest, rich harvest of righteousness. So here we go. Every day, in every relationship, you are planting seeds, and you are going to reap what you sow. You're planting seeds of trust, or you're planting seeds of distrust. You're planting seeds of anger or peace. You're planting seeds of conflict or harmony. You're planting seeds in every relationship of your life. The question is, what kind of seeds are you planting? What kind of fruit are you receiving? How do you plant seeds of peace? So with that in mind, I'm just going to kind of take verse 17... He kind of gives six ideas here, six seeds or six ways of looking at life. Just from verse 17, we're going to just kind of unpack that for just a few moments and look at it. He says, first of all, that wisdom is pure. So what he's saying is that crazy people lack integrity and wise people speak truthfully. So that's what he's saying. They lack, crazy people lack integrity and wise people speak truthfully. So that word pure, it means to be in integrity. It means to be honest. It means to be congruent, that what you are on the inside is the same as what you are expressing on the outside. It basically means that you are going to be a trustworthy and a truth, truth, a truthful person. That's what it means. So crazy people, they'll tell you anything to get you to like them. And they'll go to any means to get you to be in relationship, or they'll do anything to get things to go their own way. Wise people will tell you the truth even when it hurts or even if it causes another person to be actually repelled at the moment or not like them. Wise people don't compromise their integrity. 
They won't violate their conscience. They won't compromise their convictions. Wise people plant seeds of trust by being honest. Second is this. James says that wise people are peace-loving. And the way to look at that is this. Crazy people love conflict, while wise people love peace. Just the difference. Crazy people love conflict. Wise people love peace. Crazy people are quick-fused. They're impatient. They're easily angered. Wise people are slow, slow to be angered. They are long-fused. They are patient. Crazy people have a chip on their shoulder, and they're always looking for a fight. Wise people are peacemakers. They're not troublemakers. So then a wise person here would plant seeds of harmony. Third, James says that wise people are gentle. And the way to describe that is this, uh, is that crazy people are harsh and that wise people are considerate. So crazy people are harsh or they're caustic. Wise people are considerate or they're courteous. So kind of way to look at that. And to be considerate means that you're willing to give out undeserved acts of kindness or words of blessing to another. See, crazy people are rude. They're abrasive. Crazy people demand that everybody else meets their needs, never inconvenience the crazy person. They're focused on self first and foremost. But wise people, they're considerate. They're considerate to people, even people they don't like. They're polite, they're civil, and they're others-focused. Wise people are mindful of the needs and the feelings of others. So they plant seeds of gentleness. Fourth thing James mentions is this. He says, wise people are willing to yield to others. And so basically, you know, a crazy person because crazy people are stubborn. Okay, they're stubborn. They're not willing to yield. They're not willing to give in. But a wise person is flexible and agreeable. Flexible and agreeable. Crazy people have to have everything their way. It's their way or the highway. Okay, that's a crazy person. Everything is my way. Wise people are flexible. They're reasonable. Uh, and see, a wise person realizes, you know what? There's enough to go around. Because there's enough to go around... I can give up today because I can get tomorrow. There's always going to be another day, and there's always enough to go around. Crazy people are closed to discussion, and they are defensive in posture. Defensive in posture. Wise people. Wise people are open to being wrong, and they embrace dialogue, and they embrace discussion in order to hear someone else out so they can validate their feelings. Wise people plant seeds of humility. Plant seeds of being willing to yield. Okay, fifth. James says that wise people are full of mercy and do good deeds. So what that means is, is that crazy people are stingy and wise people are generous. So crazy people are stingy and wise people are generous. See, crazy people are mostly concerned about what they need. Wise people are generous and willing to be inconvenienced and even uncomfortable for the sake of someone else. In other words, a wise person will act on behalf of others. So crazy people, they hold back on forgiveness. They hold back on mercy so that they can hold others captive. But a wise person gives out forgiveness and gives out mercy freely and quickly because the wise person wants everybody to be free. Wants everybody to be free. See, crazy people point it out when others blow it. So that they can, you know, kind of elevate their stature and they can appear superior in some way. Crazy people hold grudges and they keep accounts. 
Wise people, they don't hold other people accountable for their mistakes. Instead, they freely forgive because they know that they need forgiveness as well, as Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. Wise people show mercy when others fumble, fail, or foul up. They show mercy to them. Wise people keep their slates and accounts clean. Crazy people give people what they think they deserve. Wise people give what they think they need. Crazy people sit back and observe. They don't get involved. They don't help. They don't reach out. Wise people give of themselves willingly and get involved. They plant seeds of compassion. And then the last thing, six, James says this, wise people show no favoritism and are always sincere. And that means crazy people are insincere and wise people are genuine. So just kind of putting those together. Crazy people are insincere. Wise people are genuine. Crazy people show partiality to themselves. And to people like them. Crazy people manage their image in order to be liked and to be respected and to be elevated. Wise people, they're just going to be authentic. Authentic about who they are. They don't pretend to try to be someone else than they are. They really understand that who they are is good. And they're authentic about that. And what they do then is they accept other people as good as well. Accept other people as they are without having to change them in order that they would become acceptable to them in some way. See, what you see with a wise person is what you get. They are real. But crazy people, they wear masks. They fake it. They pretend they're phony. Wise people are the real deal. They show their true selves. So they plant seeds of authenticity. Okay, I'm going to wrap up with this verse from Philippians 2, and then I'll explain why I did that as soon as we read it. Paul writes in Philippians 2, he says this, do nothing from selfish ambition. Remember, we talked about humility that James mentioned at the first of his verses in chapter 3, verse 13. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. One of the key components of a wise person is humility. Count others, notice what it says here, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So I just want to close, just listen carefully, really. I know it's been long, and I know it's been a lot of information, but if you just tune in. See, oftentimes, when we are tweaked by a crazy person or by crazy persons, we tend to justify our anger at them because they're crazy. We've judged them, and we justify our anger at them. And what we do then is we assume or we elevate ourselves to a position of a superior or superiority that's bred from arrogance and pride. So this is a protection thing that we do. Crazy people... I assume a position of superiority that's based in arrogance and pride. People who are, have empathy are humble. They realize their deep, deep need for God's grace and mercy and forgiveness every day of their lives. People who have empathy realize and live with the reality that they need God's grace as much or more than any person that they know. 
And the thing that dries up empathy, the thing that makes it not flow in your heart, is when you feel that some way that you are more superior than the people in your world who drive you crazy. And here's why. When you judge yourself as more superior to those in your world who drive you crazy, you will prejudge everything they do or say from that through that filter. You will be thinking, they're just not as smart as me. They just don't understand things like I do. They're just not as sharp as me. And when you get that way, we end up passing judgment on their opinions before they even open their mouths. That's what we do. We judge everything through the filter or the fact that I'm superior and you're inferior in some way. But empathy is when we're able to write the scales. And Paul even says that we would go heavier on the other side, that we would see into a person's heart and we would give them the benefit of the doubt and we would place them as more significant than me, as superior than I am. They are not different. They're just I mean, excuse me, they are, um, they are not crazy, they are not inferior, they're just different than me. To look at people are just different than each other, not less than you, just different from you. And it's the ability to treat others as equal, or as Paul said, as superior, more significant in value as yourself. But to do that, I have to first receive the empathy that Jesus offers me so that I can give it to others. Let's bow and pray together. So God, I so thank you for what you've done in my life and this uh, message even today. And Lord, as I reflected, as I worked and I think many people in the room would be able to say, oh, my word. I think I was every one of those crazy people. If we're honest, we probably do. Go in and out. We go back and forth across the divide there between crazy and wise. And I pray today that that helps us to be more understanding. Less willing to be offended. more open to giving grace, able to understand that, oh my word, we're all crazy. And yet, we all love each other and learning how to love, how to be wise in relationships. God, I pray that you would help us today because I know it's hard when you're dealing with crazy people that you're afraid to take that first step because you're afraid you'll be taken advantage of or you're fearful that's going to blow up in your face. Uh, just do it. Just do it. Just take the step. If you find yourself on the side that said you're crazy more than you'd like in this message today, just make it your goal to say, just show me, God, I want to be wise. I want to be wise in my relationships. I don't want to be a crazy maker in someone else's world. Help me to show your wisdom and live it out. Help me to receive the empathy of Jesus in my life. To know that he loves me. He looks at me with favor. He went to the cross because he wanted me. 
in heaven so much that I have such value to him that he would die for me. And, you know, I, I just realized that in our church right now this week, maybe you came last week for Easter, maybe this week is your first time, maybe you've been here a long time, but you've never said yes to his offer of forgiveness. And I want to give you a chance to today that you would say, oh, Jesus, I, yes, Jesus, I want your love for me. You died on the cross for me. I sinned against you. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Show me the Father's love. And Jesus, I want to be a disciple, a follower, apprentice of you, trained to become like you the rest of my life. God, I pray for those in the room who have felt pain today because of their own relational mess-ups or the relational abuses they've suffered from others. Help us to know that you're a redemptive God. Redemptive. Help us to remember your promises. Help us to live in your favor, Jesus. And I thank you. I pray that you would help us to be people who love others. What a way to be known. That's in your name we pray. Amen.